All right, so we're going to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 35. Luke 24, verses 1 to 35. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. My name's Sam, if you haven't met me before. Uh, and one of the things I love about being one of the pastors here at Hunter Bible Church, is our Good Friday event. I love being at Good Friday. I love seeing people make their confession of faith through baptism. Uh, and what a joy it was on Friday to, to do that together. Today we're continuing the story, of course. Um, so Good Friday, the death of Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus. 
Now, I love a fairy tale ending. I love the Hollywood ending. But early on in marriage, I had to learn to read and watch movies at the same time. So whenever we went to the, to the movie store, okay, remember you did that? You went to the video store and you hired a movie on date night. You went, actually went to that place and you hired a video, you hired a DVD or a video VHS back in the day. We always hired those movies with subtitles and slow beginnings and weird endings. Because that is what my wife enjoyed watching. She hated the Hollywood ending. It was too predictable for her, so unlikely to actually work out that way. But, but I think, this is my, my argument, is, is that's why you watch a movie, isn't it? You want to actually escape from reality. You don't want to watch reality, you want to escape from reality. And it's time away from this world, right, when you're watching a movie, where I can imagine that everything works out just fine, according to plan. Recently, we watched A Star Is Born. Anyone seen that movie, A Star Is Born? Not many, some. It's a great movie. There's romance, there's beautiful music, there's issues, and it deals with issues in our world today. But all of the things that you don't want to happen, happen. It's terrible. It ends with the worst case scenario, right? Even Batman ends that way now. The Dark Knight, I don't know if that's the most recent Batman, but it's the most recent one I've watched. It ends with Batman being the hero, well, it doesn't end with Batman being the hero of Gotham. He ends as the villain of Gotham. And that's not supposed to be the way it goes. When you watch something like Batman, you expect the good guys win and the bad guys lose and it's black and white and it's good versus evil. But Batman ends with this question mark over the convention of good versus evil. And I don't know about you, but whenever I watch those movies, I always feel let down. I want a happy resolution. I want things to work out well. I want things to work out well for everybody involved in the movie. And I'm deeply disappointed and confused and annoyed. And and I can't even sleep after I watch a movie like that. (laughs) That is the story of the disciples in Luke 24. This is not the ending they were looking for. Today in Luke 24, we're going to see why the resurrection should actually be a game changer for all of our lives. But for the disciples, they didn't initially understand its significance. They thought that Jesus' death was was the end of the story. And it left them disappointed and confused and annoyed and And what we're going to do is we're going to particularly focus on the story of those two disciples who are on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So have a look there in verse 13. It says there in verse 13, Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Okay, so these guys, these two people, um, are, are Jewish disciples of Jesus. 
One of them is named Cleopas, the other one we don't really know their name, and they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is a little town outside of Jerusalem, around about seven miles away. And as they walked, they were discussing all the different things that had happened over the last few days in Jerusalem. So what has happened? Well, if you go back to chapter 19, what you'll read about there is the disciples that entered Jerusalem with, Jeru- with Jesus. Jesus entered in a strange way. He was riding on a donkey. And that as they were making their way into the city of Jerusalem, everybody's on the streets hailing Jesus as the King who comes in the name of God. And then it's only a couple of chapters later, and a week later in the life of Jesus that the crowds there and the Jewish leaders are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Even his closest friends desert him. He's unfairly tried, he's whipped, he's beaten, he's led to a Roman cross, which was Rome's most brutal form of execution, and there he hung and he died. A criminal's death for the world to see. And this was not the way it was supposed to end. This was a disappointing end to the story. And and you see their disappointment as they speak to the stranger on the road. Have a a look there in verse 17. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As if he doesn't already know. They stood there, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one, he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, all of their hopes have been dashed. They'd watched the one that they'd put their hope in die a brutal death on a cross. And so now there's confusion and hopelessness. Now we know the end of the story, don't we? And it kind of ruins it for us. But how did they think that this story was going to end? Well, they thought that it was going to be a little bit like the time that God rescued Israel from slavery, perhaps. The the time that he pulled them out of their slavery from Egypt and out of their slavery from under Pharaoh. And that is the kind of redemption that Israel was looking forward to again. And so their whole game plan was to be focused on holiness and zeal for God and, and to be focused on the law. And they were waiting for the king to come. And the king was then going to destroy the enemies of Rome and preserve God's holy, righteous people. And so this first Good Friday was devastating. The death of their king, their Christ, their Messiah. What it meant was that that the people of God, they weren't free. And so they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This is not the ending that they were looking for. They're disappointed, they're confused, they're annoyed. And it's all because they've actually missed why Jesus had to suffer and die 
and be resurrected. And in fact, they don't even know quite what to do with the resurrection stories that their friends had started to tell them. So have a look at what happened in verse 6. First, in verse 6, we meet the women who went to the tomb. And, and the angel said, He is not here, He is risen. Remember how He told you, while He was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the, over, over to the hands of, the sinners, of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And so the women, they were prompted to remember that Jesus had to suffer and die and then he would be raised. But then the others, they didn't believe the women and they were still somewhat confused when they went to the tomb themselves. So pick it up in verse 9. When they came back to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what has happened. And so Mary and the other women seem to have some understanding and they run back and tell the others. Peter then heads off himself to the tomb and finds, finds out what's going on and, and, and walks away thinking, what has just happened? And this is all reflected in the conversation that takes place in the road, on the road to Emmaus. Have a look in verse 22. This is what they say. They say, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so these disciples, they had heard that Jesus' body was missing, but they didn't know what to make of the women's testimony, or even Peter's testimony. And just kind of seems to pile confusion upon confusion for them. And so the question we have to ask is why? Why are they so slow to believe? Why have they not recalled all of the numerous occasions that Jesus had talked about his death and then resurrection. Why haven't the pieces of the puzzle fallen into place? We have to remember this doesn't fit with how they thought the story of redemption was supposed to end. Maybe they thought Jesus was talking about the final resurrection on the very last day. Who knows? But with their understanding of the story of redemption, their understanding of that was a victory over Rome. And so, therefore, why would a king have to die and rise again for that to take place? It didn't make sense. Their confusion is real. And can I say, I love this confusion in the Bible. I love the fact that it's written down in the, in, in the Bible for us. Because it actually adds to the believability of the Bible. It doesn't kind of read, Jesus was raised and everyone went, hooray! (laughs) If you ever found yourself uh, in the process of buying a house, I I, I don't know about you, but you look at those online pictures with a healthy degree of cynicism, don't you? Because everything is staged these days and you've got the wide-angle camera lenses and everything looks so fantastic online And then when you turn up, you think, what is this place? Is this the same house? It's terrible. 
Now, when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, it doesn't look staged, does it? Especially the main characters, you know, they are so slow to believe, which I think makes the Bible much more believable. It's very easy to kind of put yourself into the story of the disciples. These things are written as they happened, it's not staged. And so these disciples, as we've seen already, they have a different understanding of the end, they've missed the significance of his death and his resurrection and we can be like that too, can't we? We can kind of write it off, we can not care, we can not even think about it and just assume that everything is staged here. But have a look, I want us to see how the stranger on that road opens their eyes. Verse 25, this is what it says. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And there's the missing piece to the puzzle. That the Christ, the King, God's ruler, had to suffer. He had to die. He had to be raised in order to enter his glory. And the reason it had to happen is because Jesus' glory was not to just be the Jewish Messiah of the first century, but his glory was to rule the world forever. Jesus was to be the forever king, which changes the game, doesn't it? If he becomes a military leader, then he may enter glory right there and then, but it's not eternal glory. It's not glory over all kingdoms. It's not ruling the universe forever. See, Jesus' glory is not just to be Israel's king, but to be the king of the universe. This is what happened when Jesus was on trial just before the religious leaders executed him. They said to him, if you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if you asked, if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's actually looking beyond his death to his position of glory, seated at God's right hand, where the leader sits and rules. And what he's saying is, I will share God's rule over the universe, not just Israel. He's pushing this phrase, Messiah, well beyond the boundaries of Israel. But how? How is he elevated to this place of glory? Well, it's through the resurrection that that takes place. He goes through death and then is raised and then seated on God's throne. You see, the death of Jesus, that actually looks like it was a defeat. It looked like the Romans were trouncing on the Jewish people once again. It looked to be some kind of revolutionary with delusions of grandeur shown to be nothing. But with a risen Jesus, a Jesus who walks with these disciples three days after he's crucified, and then he later on, he eats with those disciples and then appears to almost 500 of them at a time. A Jesus who lives today 
right? Today, in a glorified physical state, like the one he has in Luke 24, it changes the story. It means that the death of Jesus is not a defeat, but it was actually a victory. He was defeating evil once for all. He was defeating sin and death for us. Jesus dies as his innocent man on Good Friday. But as he dies, he takes on our sin and wears the punishment for it. And then he comes busting down the door of the, of the tomb and out the other side of death. This is actually a victory over sin and death and evil and Satan and everything that opposes God. And this is the, this is the victory we need. It's a victory that every single one of us in this room today needs because the things that Jesus stood against and defeated through his death and resurrection, well, those things are still our enemies today. Take, for example, sin. Sin is our enemy today. I'm not sure how you understand sin, but sin is essentially an attitude towards God. A number of years ago, I was reading uh, The Good Weekend and the author of the article commented... Sin, of course, requires other people. But that's not true. Sin manifests itself in the way that we treat other people, but at its most basic level, sin is actually how we treat God. And so even if we've never murdered or stolen or committed adultery or done all the big no-nos of our world, sin is in each one of us. And all of us are guilty for living without reference to the God of the universe. And so the ending we need is this one. It's the one that says that Jesus has died and and has been raised, and in doing that, sin and death and Satan and evil are defeated for us. And the resurrection is proof that as God pours out His anger on His Son, as Jesus hung on that cross... All of those things, were, all, of those, all of our sin was actually dealt with. And so we don't have to wear death. We don't have to wear punishment for our sin. We can be resurrected with Jesus forever and live with God forever. See, the walking, talking, eating, hanging out with his disciples, resurrected Jesus, is the one who won the victory we need. And that same Jesus is presently, today, God's appointed King. The other thing he says to these disciples on the road to Emmaus is that the Old Testament, this is all in the Old Testament, he's saying to them. This is in your scriptures, this is in the prophets and all the books of Moses. They spoke about this. Have a look there in verse 25. He says, how foolish you are, And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see what Jesus is doing there? He starts back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and he just works his way through the Old Testament. And this is a Bible study on the road, right? And in this Bible study, what Jesus is doing is he's showing how 
everything that they've seen take place over the last few days, all this disturbing news about Jesus' death and the confusing stories and the missing body and all of this is actually forecasted for them in the Old Testament that they grew up with. In other words, he begins the story of God's people again and shows how everything in that story is actually about him. Everything was looking forward to Jesus ruling God's forever kingdom. Which adds again to the veracity of this story, right? Because imagine if the resurrection happened without the Old Testament. A random miracle with no context or design. We wouldn't know what to make of it at that point, would we? We'd say, well, that was pretty amazing, but where did this come from? Why does this guy think he's a Messiah? What is a Messiah? But if Jesus' death and resurrection didn't just kind of happen out of the blue, but if it was forecast, if the Old Testament had been building up to this moment until now, for hundreds and thousands of years, wow. Not only do you have a miracle that was pretty unreal, but you have a context for that miracle to take place in. You have words and story as stories and history that actually anticipate this event. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Uh, the book of Isaiah was written around about 700 years before Jesus. And parts of it are very specific about how God was going to redeem His people. And this is what it says, Isaiah chapter 53. It says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. See what's happening there? 700 years before Jesus. We see Isaiah speaking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just Isaiah, but it's actually the whole of the Old Testament is looking forward to this moment, and it climaxes in this moment, this historical moment where Jesus was, was, was crucified and then raised to life. The other thing this actually helps us to see is that Luke 23 and 24 were not God's plan B, C or D. This was always God's plan A. This was always God's plan to end the story like this. God is the director of this movie called History... He's not kind of responding in the moment to things that he had not anticipated. This was always the plan. So have a look again in verse 27. It says, beginning with Moses, so that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. And when we see this clearly, it changes us. It changes us. Have a look at the the change of heart in these disciples. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Turning, uh, then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? See, their hearts were burning. And not when Jesus made himself visible to them, but as they walked and as they talked about the Old Testament scriptures and when they understood that Jesus really was the one they had been waiting for, when they finally saw that the past few days were not actually a bit of disappointment, but what Peter and Mary and the others had told them was true. And what do they do? Well, they get up and they go back to Jerusalem and they say to the disciples in verse 33, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Understanding this moment changes their lives forever. I wonder if it's changed your life yet. If you're a regular Easter churchgoer or you grew up with some kind of church background or perhaps you went to a Christian school or a Catholic school or if you're a regular here at Hunter Bible Church, you may have heard about the resurrection before and and it may have been the ending that you were expecting today. It's unlikely that you're somehow surprised that Jesus was raised from the grave today. But what I want to understand is that this is not just a story that is an interest piece that we can kind of tap into at Easter and Christmas. Some stories function like that. On the World Surf League app at the moment, uh, we have been, we, meaning my wife has kindly sat down with me and watched a series called Billy. And it's about a, a pro surfer called Billy Kemper and it's a comeback story, right? He was in Morocco, he was chasing big waves, he's a big wave surfer, and he had a massive accident that just kind of blew his knee apart, shattered his pelvis, and in fact his life was in danger uh, for some time. And it's interesting. They tracked the whole journey of these intense months as he recovered throughout the course of 2020. Maybe it's even motivational. Maybe it kind of says to me, well, Billy did it, Sam. Why don't you just work a little bit harder? Maybe it's motivational. But Billy's, Billy's story doesn't actually demand that I change my story at all. It's good. It's inspiring. I like it. But it actually demands nothing from me. But the resurrection, if true, demands change for every single one of us. If it's not true, then it changes nothing. Nothing at all. But if it is true, then Jesus is ruling heaven today, in glory. It means he's your king today, whether you acknowledge that or not. So I want to ask you, will you let the resurrection change your story? The Apostle Paul, who was not there in Luke 24, had his life turned upside down by the resurrection. You can read about it in Acts 9 if you want to a bit later. But Paul was a Jew in the first century. He actually called himself a fanatical Jew, a Pharisee. And the Pharisees hated Jesus. And the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, they were the ones who ended up putting Jesus on trial. And once the church began, after Jesus, it was Paul as one of the Pharisees who routinely killed Christians for worshipping Jesus as the king. You can read about one of the blokes that he murders in the Bible, 
in Acts chapter 7. It's brutal. But not long after that, Paul meets Jesus, the risen Jesus. He comes face to face with him. And from that moment, the persecutor of the church becomes one of the most dynamic leaders in the church. He becomes a missionary. He goes from place to place spreading this this news that Jesus is the risen King. What was the turning point? He realised that Jesus was really alive. And it wasn't just him, but 11 of the 12 disciples, all of whom saw the risen Jesus, they died for believing and preaching that Jesus was alive. You see, the resurrection changes people's lives. It changed my life. The story of my years as a teenager was I was never quite ready to give my life to Jesus. I was kind of, I think I was holding out for something better. And it wasn't until I went to schoolies at the end of year 12 and then to a Christian camp the week after that I realised that I was actually selling, selling myself short. At schoolies, I saw people using each other. At this camp, I saw real friendship. At schoolies, we drank in order to enjoy life. At the camp, I could tell people already had life to the full. At schoolies, I was surrounded by mates and felt alone. At this camp, I was surrounded by people I barely knew and I was accepted. And you know, 25 years on from that, those simple differences I saw between God's people and my friends who don't know Jesus are essentially the same. At that camp, I could tell that Jesus was alive because he was at work in the lives of these people. He had changed these people. And since then, Jesus has changed me. So what about you? Your story might be, I don't think religion's that relevant. But if Jesus is living and ruling today, then, then he's as relevant today as he was to those disciples back then. Your story might be, I'm just, I'm just being true to myself, man. That's who I am. But that kind of changes, doesn't it, when we realise the living king is actually offended by the fact that you're ignoring him. Your story might be career and money, well, that's, that, they're the kind of the things I'm working for at the moment and I'll worry about this sort of spiritual stuff a bit later. But if Jesus is ruling today, then your career and your money belongs to him and eternal life, can I say, that is not something you want to be gambling with. Your story might be, I want freedom. I don't want to live by anyone else's rules, let alone God's. But what you call freedom is only for this life. Eternal freedom is possible in Jesus. The fact that Jesus is living, it's a game changer. Absolute game changer. Will you live according to the reality that he is your resurrected king? Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the account of Luke chapter 24. We thank you for the way that your son, Jesus, walked on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his friend and opened the scriptures and declared to them that everything beginning with Moses and all through the prophets was actually about him. He was looking forward to the great moment when Jesus was crucified and raised. 
Father, we thank you that you opened their eyes and gave them understanding. We pray that you would give us understanding. Help us to see that the resurrection is not just an interest piece story, but an absolute game changer. We pray that we would have the courage to live with Jesus as our King, even if it makes us unpopular, even if it means we have to change our lives dramatically. And we pray that we would see that this is actually the best way forward, that this is what you want for us, not because you're demanding or overbearing, but because you love us. And we thank you for these things in your Son. Amen.